Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Love Life Connection podcast, a podcast for successful women who feel like they have it all except love. I'm your host, Veronica Grant, a love and life coach. And my only goal with this podcast is to inspire you to believe in yourself and that real love is possible for you, even in our swipe right, swipe left world. Hello, and welcome to the Love Life Connection podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, I'm super excited to be connecting with you this week. And by the time that you're listening to this episode, I will definitely be under baby watch. So if you want to see updates, the best way to do that will be on Instagram, Veronica E. Grant. By the time that I'm recording this, I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to make public, whether you know it's baby's face or name. I'm not really sure. I'm still kind of feeling that out for myself and need to discuss that with Stevie. I am just thinking about issues around, you know, facial recognition. Also just, you know, I don't want anyone stealing my baby's identity. Also just the issue of consent. My baby can't consent to have his photo plastered all over the internet. So I'm just thinking about things and what I'm going to do, but I definitely will be making some sort of announcement when the baby is here to let you know that he's arrived safely. So again, Veronica E. Grant is the best place to find out that information. It's also just the best place to connect with me. So you can send me a DM, comment on one of my photos. I'm pretty active. Obviously, I'll take some time off and probably be a little slower to respond in early October. Then again, there are going to be plenty of late nights, breastfeeding and pumping and all of those things. So I will probably be also having lots of screen time. So I would love to hear from you, hear what episodes you love, what topics you love so that when I come back from maternity leave, I'll have all sorts of ideas of new episodes and content to create for you. 
All right. I'm really excited about today's show. Today is the last Thursday of the month. And remember, the last Thursday of the month is usually a guest expert interview. Sometimes the solo episode this month is a guest expert. And I'm really, really excited for you, especially for those of you who are really strongly desiring to be a mom. You're really, really going to love this episode. Now, the society that we live in tells us that our ability to have family and kids is based on being able to find a man to procreate. And the truth is, is that's really not the only way in 2020. I know there are many single moms who listen to this episode. And even if you're not desiring more children, I really recommend you listen to this episode, especially if you have younger children, because I do ask Dana about, well, what was it like to be a single mom? How did you deal with your time and getting support and dating and all of those things. So that's going to be applicable to you whether or not you are a single mom by choice. So my guest Dana found herself being age 39 and in a dead end relationship. And she also had a really strong desire to be a mom. And it finally dawned on her that, wait a second, she didn't have to make it work with the bozo that she was with or any other man. She could go on a journey of motherhood on her own. And so that's exactly what she did. Now, when I was interviewing Dana, honestly, I could have talked to her for so long today because I had so many questions. I just think that, I mean, I don't know, I'm just curious about people's experiences. And I just think this is so fascinating. Maybe it's also because I'm also pregnant. So I just had more questions about it. But I also really did my best to try to channel your energy and your questions. And I just kept asking myself, what would my listener want to know? What would my listener want to know? The woman who's listening, who is considering motherhood, single motherhood, really desiring motherhood, what would she want to know? And so I tried to ask as many of those questions as I possibly could. And if this is a route that you are potentially considering or a route you haven't even considered yet, I really think you're going to love Dana's story. We talk about the logistics of going the donor baby route. So just how much did it cost? What did you do first? How did the procedure actually work? Um, Plus the emotions that come with. And Dana actually has procreated two children, one through donor sperm and then one through a donor embryo. So she has experience going both of those routes and is going to talk about both of them in the show today. And at the end, Dana is also going to share how she met her now partner on the day she conceived her second baby at a fertility clinic. So it's a great story. I'm so excited if you listen to it. One thing Dana mentions in the episode that her second baby is black and she is white. And I wanted to ask her more about that, but we really ran out of time. I try to keep these episodes somewhat reasonable length. And I also had a call that I had backed up right against this one. However, if you are raising a child of a different color than you, especially if you're white and your child is black or brown, or if you feel like this might be a possibility for you, if you go down the donor or adoption route, then please get in touch with Dana because she's more than willing to talk about her experience and also share some resources to support you in that journey. Because again, remember, if you're white, you can definitely still raise a black or brown baby. At least in my opinion, a lot of people obviously do not think that. And Dana and I talked about that a little bit offline briefly. However, you're not going to be able to show her how to be a black woman or a black man or a brown woman or a brown man, because that hasn't been your experience in society. So Dana is more than happy to share some resources that has really supported her in this, in this journey. 
So with that all being said, let's go ahead and get straight to my conversation with Dana. I hope you enjoy it. Please reach out to me with more questions, thoughts, and also she's very open as well. So please reach out to her. We've put her website in the show notes and she also mentions it at the end. So make sure you catch that if you have more questions or want some more support around choosing single motherhood. And with that, let's get on to my conversation with Dana. Hi, Dana. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. I almost said, um, how can I help you? Because that's how I start off when I do a podcast coaching call. I had to like turn my mind into like a different direction. So that's fine. That There's funny. room to help you. <laughs> <laughs> There's always something to be working on. <laughs> Anyways, I'm so excited to have you on the show and for you to share your story with the women in my community. I think they're going to really love it and it's going to hopefully inspire them and also think about, you know, starting a family and childbearing differently. So before we get into all of that kind of stuff, can you just tell us a little bit about who you are and the work that you do in the world? Sure. Um, my name is Dana and I am first and foremost, I'm a, a critical care flight nurse. I work in a hospital on a helicopter and I answer 911 calls and do critical care transport. That's job number one that pays most of my bills. And job number two is I am a women's embodiment and empowerment coach. And a lot of my work is with moms who are sort of overwhelmed by Pinterest land and all of the things that they're supposed to be doing and not actually paying attention to who they are as people and what they actually need. And I work with women who are very much interested in becoming mothers themselves, but are not in relationship. And whether that's relationship with a man or relationship with a woman, whatever that looks like, wherever they are in the world, and they know that they want to be a mom, I'm there to help either make that decision, help them make that decision, or help guide them in the right direction once they have made that decision. I love that. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about today. So that's that's a really good segue. So just to let everyone know who's listening, you have two children, correct? I have a five-year-old, uh, Jonah, who I gave birth to when I was 40, and I have a four-month-old girl, Honora is her name, and I gave birth to her in March, so she's my my pandemic baby. <laughs> awesome, awesome. I'll likely be having a pandemic baby myself, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, can- boy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so then what I really want, you know, and the reason why I invited you onto the show is because you went what some people might call an untraditional route to conceive these babies. Um, You're not in partnership. It wasn't even with, well, I'm not even gonna tell your story. You start telling your story. So talk to me a little bit about, you know, your journey towards motherhood and the choices that you made to get there. Sure. So when I was in my twenties, I dated wonderful men and I was not at all ready to settle down and get married or do any of those things. I had all these things that I wanted to do out in the world. And I knew that once I settled down and had a family, I would not be able to do them. Fast forward to my thirties and I don't know exactly what happened, but I chose all the wrong men. And I found myself at 39 in relationship with somebody. I had been in the relationship with him for nearly three years. And I knew that I shouldn't be in that relationship. I knew that it was the wrong relationship, but I was 39 and I really wanted to have a baby. And I thought, if I don't do it now, if I don't do it with him, I'm not going to do it. 
And I was out on a hike one day when at a point in our relationship where things were actually okay. They weren't, they weren't terrible at least, but they were okay for us. And I was out on a hike with my dogs and walking through the wilderness. And I just had this hit and I knew that I did not need to stay in relationship with him. And if I wanted to have a child, I could do it on my own. And it was kind of a, a funny moment too, because I had just started working the night shift, which meant that I was making a little more money than I had been. And I had this discussion with myself, like, well, I could just pretend like I'm married to a barista and have a baby on my own. Ha ha ha. And it was like, oh, wait a second. I can have a baby on my own. And I went from there. And that was in January. And by March, I made my first attempt. And by June, I was pregnant. Okay. And- so I want to talk a little bit about that thought process because I, I can just, I'm sure there's a lot to unpack there, right? Did you have... Yeah. Did you have doubts? Did people tell you, oh, maybe you should just try with this person or give it one more chance with someone else? Was there any of that well, kind of thing going on? To be clear, nobody in my life thought I should be having a baby with this person that I was with. Okay. <laughs> Everybody was like, oh, thank God. Um, <laughs> except for maybe my mother who, you know, mothers are mothers and they want things for us and they want them in a, a very specific way. And when I told her that I was going to have a baby on my own, her first response was, oh yeah, right. And that's I, yeah, <laughs> I said, Oh yeah, right. And she did come back around shortly thereafter, but everybody else in my life who I took it to, they were pretty excited for me. They, I think they knew, I knew it was the right decision. I wasn't, once I had made the decision, once I was clear, mm-hmm. it was just clear and the path just opened up. So it was really you know, I had been toying with it and it was a no, I was not going to do such a thing uh, because I had heard of a friend of a friend had, had gone the choice motherhood route and she encouraged me. She said, Oh, you should really talk to Amy. You know, Amy did this on her own. And I was like, Oh no, you know, I, I'm not going to do that. I need to be in partnership. And if I'm not, then maybe I'm just not meant to have children, but I would say that and not believe it at all. I knew I've, I've known, I mean, I knew when I was a little girl that all I ever wanted to do was be a mom. And to get to 40 and they're almost 40 and not have that happening was really just disturbing to me. It was, it was, I was haunted by it. I dreamed about it. I thought about it all the time. And that moment where I, where it hit me that, no, you really can do this. You can do this. You are powerful enough. You are solid enough. You can do this. It was like one of the most freeing moments I've ever had. I've ever experienced in my life. That's amazing. So it sounds like you didn't really go through that much. Like, this is a good idea. This is a bad idea. What will people think? Will this ruin my love life prospects? Like, I did have that, but my love life had been so not great for so long Mm -hmm. that that wasn't even a thought. It was like, you know what? If this is what I get and I don't get to have a baby, then I don't want that. I'd rather have a baby. Mm -hmm. So I was, I was pretty clear about that. It was after the fact, or it was when I was pregnant that I was like, huh, am I ever going to date again? Like, what is this going to look like? And that's when I started thinking about it. But once I made the decision to do it, it was all consuming until I was pregnant and knew that I had a healthy child and knew you know, that that's what was happening, that I was like, oh, oh crap. Like, <laughs> am I ever going to date again? But as it turns out, I I did. Um, yeah. I did. I actually started dating 
quite by accident while I was pregnant with Jonah, with my first, and ended up in in relationship, sort of an odd relationship for several years, right through Jonah's fourth year with the same the same man. And he is he's wonderful, and he was my best friend, but he was never going to be daddy. And I sort of had to wrap my brain around that before I let go of that relationship because I knew he was wonderful with Jonah and we were great together, but he was much older. He was 22 years older and a a perennial bachelor and he was not willing to sign up for all of it. And I don't blame him. And I, I had to let that go, but now I'm actually in relationship with, with my partner. (laughs) which I definitely want to talk about, but we'll get there. Um, so kind of give us like the nuts and bolts of someone's like, okay, well, what's the first step? Cause I think some people just think, oh, like, doesn't that mean I have to do IVF or egg harvesting? And isn't that really, really expensive? So talk us through that. Sure. So for me, I, you know, the first thing I did, cause I had no idea where to begin. Mm-hmm. I called my, my regular doctor and said, do you know anything about this? And she said, well, I don't, but our fertility clinic, we have a fertility clinic, I'll refer you there. So she did, and I was 39, and I walked in to meet with a doctor for a consultation, and she said, well, have you ever been pregnant before? And I said, no, I've actually spent my entire adult life trying not to get pregnant, and here I am. And she said, well, I'm not going to treat you like you're infertile. We're not going to go down the route of drugs or IVF or anything until we try naturally at least a few times. And I said, fair enough. And that was, of course, the the cheaper route. I didn't have any, a lot of women have coverage. Yeah. A lot of women don't even know that they have coverage for things like IVF and fertility treatments. I did not have coverage for any of it. So it, I was entirely out of pocket. So I thought, all right, well, sure, I'll, I'll give it a try naturally. And on the third try, and by try, I mean intrauterine insemination. Mm -hmm. So there are different ways that you can go about getting pregnant. There's the, you know, the turkey baster method that we all think about, which is called intracervical insemination, ICI. Mm -hmm. And not a lot of people do that. Younger women will do that. And if they have a known sperm donor and it's fresh sperm, you know, you, if you're trying to get pregnant at home on your own, you can do it that way. Yeah. But once you get up episode on Grace and Frankie about that, <laughs> <laughs> if anyone's <Okay>. interested. <laughs> uh, yeah. So you, there's the turkey baster method. And then there's like what I call advanced turkey baster, which is what I did, which is intrauterine insemination. And it's where they put the sperm through the cervix with a little, a teeny little catheter and it goes through the cervix and they put the sperm a little bit closer to the egg. And it's all very well-timed. So you, you monitor your cycle and you get to a specific point and then you go in for your intracervical or intrauterine insemination. And I had two negative pregnancy tests and then the third one was positive. And that was my son on the first try mm-hmm. or on the third try. Yeah. And I didn't have to use any drugs. I didn't have to go to IVF and I was 39 and I gave birth to him when I was 40. For my second child, when I was, four, well, I started trying to conceive her when I was 42. And I very naively thought, because it was so easy the first time, that it would be just as easy the second time. Mm-hmm. And that was not the case. I actually had, I had no trouble getting pregnant. I got pregnant several times, but I couldn't keep the, the babies. They were, they attributed the, the miscarriages to my elderly eggs. And so at that point, I had to examine whether or not I wanted to spend 
money on IVF if it was my eggs that were the problem since I was getting pregnant. And my doctor and I decided together that I already had one beautiful child and it was not going to be worth the nearly $40,000 it costs here in California to have a cycle of IVF when she couldn't really guarantee that we would get any viable embryos from even one cycle. So at that point, I thought my, my pursuit of my second child was over, even though I kept feeling like, no, there's another baby. There's another baby coming. And one of my son's donor half-siblings, which is another story entirely, we're in touch with all of the donor half-siblings that we know about. There are 13 kids in total. Um, Yeah, 11 boys and two girls. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And um, so we're we're all in touch through our sperm bank, which I'll I'll talk about that decision while finding a donor. But um, one of the donors, donor moms said, hey, I'm the only one among us who's done IVF to get pregnant. Um, and I have five remaining embryos and my family is complete. Would you like the embryos? And I thought, oh my God, this mm-hmm. is amazing. So the baby wasn't going to be related to me, but he, he or she would be related to my son. So we started going down that route. And because of health reasons, the clinic um, where her embryos were being stored that, and where I was going to go to have them implanted the clinic decided that we weren't going to be a match, which was a huge disappointment. But they did have a donor embryo bank on site there. And they did offer me an embryo from one of their donor embryos that was going to be a better match for me physically. And I said, yes. And that's how my daughter came to be. And I gave birth to her at 45. So... <laughs> Amazing. I love that story. So let's back up a little bit. And how do you pick a donor? What is that process? Like the logistical, but also the, the emotional piece. So yeah, I mean, it's a really odd thing. It's almost like online dating. Yeah. There's a podcast that I was listening to called The Longest Shortest Time. Have you heard it? I've heard of it. Yeah. 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 Okay. It's really, really good. And the host or the second host, I guess, who took over she basically was looking for a donor and it was like, yeah, she said it was like swiping and looking at all the stuff about them that you might look at for a profile online for dating. It's crazy, except all of the, all of the subjects are all like way younger. So, you know, you're looking at like my, my donor, I was 39 and my donor was 27 when he was donating and you're looking at baby pictures and like little, little boy pictures, but it started for me, the bank that I chose, it starts for free. You get basic information. So you get, you know, height, weight, eye color, hair color, ethnicity, blood type, things like that, and a little blurb about them. You know, you pay a next the next level and you get pictures. Some sperm banks offer pictures of the adult donor, but most of them stick to baby and little little boy pictures. So you get to look at pictures of them and then I paid the next level and I got health history and I even got a Myers-Briggs and they, they've got all sorts of, and then a little blurb that the donor wrote about himself and you pay the final amount and you can pay it all up front and get all of that up front. But I needed 
bits and pieces first because I started out with like 20 different donors that I thought, oh, these could be potential. And then I got the pictures and narrowed it down to 10. And then I got the health histories and narrowed it down to five. And then I paid for the audio. They have an audio interview of the donor. And as soon as I heard my donor's voice, I knew he was the one. Mm-hmm. And it was it was like another magical moment. Like, this is it. And I was I totally knew. But prior to that, you it knew was what like, it was about his voice. Well, it was it was more than just his voice. It was it was the way he answered questions. He was he was at ease. He just exuded kindness and goodness. And that's really, you know, there's so many things that you can take into account when you're choosing a donor. You know, uh, what do they look like? What's their religion? What's their ethnicity? Depending upon who you are as a person, you might have different concerns. You know, their health histories, do they match up? You know, do we have conflicting health issues? And for me, I didn't really have any of that. What I thought that I wanted or what I wanted was someone who would sort of resemble my family, even if he didn't end up looking like me, which for the record, my son is the spitting image of me. It's pretty funny. Um, but he's also, he also looks like his donor half sibling. So it's weird, <laughs> but he is the spitting image of me. But I wanted somebody who was kind. I wanted somebody who was kind and good and smart. And that is exactly what, what he exuded in his audio interview. It was just, he was comfortable. He was intelligent. He answered questions really like with wit and I thought, oh yeah, this is this is him. And I have a delightful little boy. He's wonderful. He's super chill and he's delightful. And with my daughter, she is actually um, three quarters black and one quarter Latina. So she looks nothing like me. And by the time it came to having my second child, all of the things that I that I was so concerned about with my first went out the window because I just knew I just knew that I wanted a second child. And mm-hmm. with her going through the embryo bank profiles and now embryo donation is, is fairly new. It's uh, yeah, I've never heard of it before. Yeah. A lot of, I, I'm, I'm one of the first, and I think I might be one of the first non-religious people who have chosen to have a baby whose ethnicity doesn't match, uh, which I didn't know about going into. And that's another story entirely. But um when I was choosing her, the the majority of the donor embryos available were embryos of color. They were various different colors, but because it's so new and largely white families are are doing embryo or wanting embryos, there aren't a lot of white embryos available. But for me, it was neither here nor there. And I went through and I read there, I read profiles and the families who were donating wrote letters to future recipients and I chose the family who I connected with the most mm-hmm. in terms of what they wrote in their letter. So that's how I chose her. And I didn't know she was a she. <laughs> yeah. That's so interesting that so many embryos are, you know, I guess embryos of color. Um, I just remember reading Becoming by Michelle Obama and she talked mm-hmm. about her IVF and then I was like, oh, I didn't know her kids were IVF babies. And so then I started Googling it and I just found all these articles about how, you know, a lot of women of color, like don't have opportunity or access to IVF or anything like that. So it's just surprising that there's embryos of color. Cause I'm like, who are these people doing it? You know what I mean? I don't know. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's happening. It, yeah. it happens right. everywhere. 
but in terms of resources, given where we are in our country, yeah. we white people have a lot more resources than yeah. a lot of black counterparts, unfortunately. And hopefully that's all changing. <laughs> change, change, change. <laughs> yes. Yes. Please. Amen. Amen to that. I talk a lot about doing the deep work on this podcast. And if you're like many women, you might be wondering, what is the deep work? I've been to therapy, so how is that different? And most important, you might be wondering, all right, Veronica, how do I do it? And how will it change my life? If that's you, I've got great news. I've created a brand new, totally free workshop called Attract Your Soulmate Without Losing Your Soul. In this on-demand workshop, you'll learn why most women do all the right things, read books, listen to the podcast, even go to talk therapy, but nothing changes in their love life. I'll also walk you through my deep work, deep love framework, so you know exactly what you can do to start attracting better fitting and healthier relationships. And you'll learn how to overcome the number one obstacle to your love life transforming. Whether you have no idea why you attract who you attract, or you know your patterns, but you can't seem to shift them, you'll go from feeling stuck to knowing exactly what you need to do to move forward. Again, this workshop is totally free and you can watch it right now. Head over to veronicagrant.com forward slash soulmate to sign up. Okay. So in terms of, you know, you don't have to like say exactly like how much all this costs, but what's like a price range? Like when you're talking about, you know, doing the second level up from like a turkey, you know, bastion or whatever, like, are we talking, is it $1,000, $5,000 per try or less than that, more than that? So the sperm itself, the sperm alone is five years ago when I was doing it, it was $800 a vial and one vial was one try. So that's that alone. Now, I think even a few years ago when I was trying, I was trying with Jonah's same donor initially, it had gone up to, I believe it was like $1,200 a vial. Oh, wow. So they increased the price. Yeah. So not cheap just for the sperm. You know, in terms of the procedure, everywhere you go, it will be different mm-hmm. and it'll just completely depend upon what your insurance covers and what it doesn't. For me, without coverage, I believe each insemination was right around six or seven hundred dollars. And you have ultrasounds leading up to often you do leading up to the insemination to make sure that you have a follicle that is ripening and that will be ready to go in terms so that you're not wasting the vial of sperm so that you're actually giving your your body the chance to to get pregnant and not wasting it. With Nora, with my daughter trying to conceive her, I went from natural cycles to medicated cycles. And first I was taking oral medication, which is relatively inexpensive. I think it was, you know, my prescription covered it and it was like, you know, $12 for for the round of of pills. Mm -hmm. But then I went to injectable cycles where you're injecting gonadotropins, you're basically follicle stimulators to make more eggs. um, So there's more, a greater chance of one fertilizing. And that was in the thousands of dollars. So one yeah. one round of of folistim, which is what I was using, one round of gonadotropins, I believe, was about fifteen hundred dollars a cycle, and that wasn't covered. But again, some places will cover it, and there are your fertility center will know if there's a way. There are discount pharmacies that they can send you to and have them mailed to you. So there are ways to get around that, and some clinics are better than others at getting you your maximum bang for your buck basically. Yeah. So, so if someone's doing it naturally, you're looking at at least about 2000 
per try. Yeah. Yeah. About there, about there. Yeah. But sometimes there are ways that clinicians can get creative with the, the financing. You know, my insurance would cover the ultrasound portion. So I, at one point they decided, oh, well, they'll cover the ultrasound if it's for fertility, you know, for, to check for infertility. So they just coded it that they were, you know, monitoring for infertility, even though I technically wasn't infertile so that it was a $35 copay. So there, there are ways and means to get around it and a good clinic will help you. And then a lot of clinics like Shady Grove is where I, which is on the East coast. And I went to the one in Baltimore, but they're all up and down the East coast. They have packages that you can do as well. So for Nora, for the donor embryo, I believe it was $8,000 all inclusive for up to two tries and two embryos and like everything was included. So all of my care leading up to that and following was included in that $8,000 flat rate, which when you are thinking about doing IVF and it's a financial barrier to use your, your own eggs when you're not sure that they're even going to fertilize, you know, maybe a woman in her forties her would choose to not spend the $40,000 to yeah. try that and go a donor embryo route. Yeah. I just listened to an episode on, um, on Ladylike too, about, uh, freezing eggs. And like, I think it's been taught to us as women, like freeze your eggs. It'll be fine. You get a baby whenever, but it's like, there's no guarantee. But that's not true. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of my friends, by the way, there are single mom Facebook groups, choice mom Facebook groups all over the country. And I'm a member of the Bay area group and they're great resources for, even if you're thinking about it, you can join your local Facebook group and start posing questions to the people in the group. Even if you're the in the choice thing- moms, that's what like single mothers by choice. Yeah. Cool. SME um, is what you want to search on Facebook and they're usually private groups, but you can usually join. That's awesome. And- that's a great resource. I'm sure. And so what was, you know, conceiving and also the pregnancy, like, did you have, a friend become like your birth partner or what did I you did. I did. I had another interesting part of my journey with Jonah is that for about, I believe about 10 weeks, I thought I was having a down syndrome baby because I had a positive, positive test, basically a blood test early on in my pregnancy that, that showed a marker that was a 99% positive for down syndrome. Mm-hmm. And I had known going in that if I had a Down syndrome baby, I was going to have a Down syndrome baby. I was, I was clear on that going in. But I was really thankful to have one of my dearest friends who, she was not a mom. She was, she is 10 years older than I am and she never had children herself. And I asked her early on if she would be my, my birth partner, which meant that she also came with me to appointments so she was basically my husband <laughs> for for my pregnancy. She she was with me for my first ultrasounds, and she was with me for the birth and the you know the delivery. Um, and she was there through all of it. That's my friend Kim, <laughs> and she was wonderful. And it was an interesting thing to navigate. A lot of people they didn't know if we were sisters because she has dark curly hair as well, or if we were partners or what. And you know we had fun just sort of letting people decide what we were to see how they would treat us. But uh, my doctor obviously knew that she was my birth partner, but then taking a birthing class 
together. Mm-hmm. That was fascinating because, <laughs> you know, it's all couples and they're looking at us as though, you know, we're a couple, which we were fine with. But when it came to introducing ourselves, then we became the the oddity of the group. And a lot of my single mom friends have suggested either skipping the birthing class if you're not planning on having a birth partner, because they can be uncomfortable. If you have any discomfort in your bones about being a single mom by choice, all of the stuff tends to come in those birthing classes because they're like, you know, your husband should be rubbing your shoulders and, and, and a lot of that can come out. So fortunately, I I mean, I'm not, I mean, I haven't been really going to birthing classes because, you know, pandemic, but we've been using some online resources and some of the apps and some are really good about just saying birth partner and Mm -hmm. some are definitely not good. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, everyone is different. And for me, I've been loud and proud about my choice and I have continued to be about my decision. And if somebody asks me, Oh, where's dad? You know, no dad, he's, he's a donor baby. And he'll proudly tell you now, Oh yeah, no, I, I have a donor. I don't have a dad though. Now I'm in relationship and he actually does have somebody he, he calls his Dan, not his dad, but <laughs> through, you know, up until last year, I don't have a dad, I have a donor. So I went into birthing classes loud and proud about it. But there are several of my my choice mom friends have aren't as vocal about their their choice and don't want people to know. And I know that that being in birthing classes has by themselves has come up as a problem. With that being said, a lot of them are now arranging single mom birthing classes. So hiring birth coaches to teach a group of women who are going to be delivering within the same amount of time. So that comes up in our, our Facebook group. Setting up a class one. (laughs) I love that. So then what was, you know, entering single motherhood? Like once the baby was here, I know, I mean, I know it's hard no matter what, (laughs) Um, you know, or maybe it wasn't. It wasn't. It it was so, so good. I was so happy to finally be a mom that it was like anything that you threw at me, fine, I'll do it. You know, I it was again, everyone's different. I just enjoyed every minute of especially the the early days. You know, I, I had I was lucky enough to have six months of, of maternity leave and it was just he and I for the first four and a half months, I had an au pair come in at about four and a half months to start because I work nights. Mm -hmm. So to start the process of getting him used to not being with me at night. Uh, But those first few months were just blissful. I mean, it's hard. It's hard in that you're not sleeping very well. And as a single person, you really have to stay on top of feeding yourself well. And I, I feel the difference now because now I am I'm partnered and I had Nora with my partner and I also have a nanny in the house because we went to shelter in place, you know, with all of that. So I know what it is to be resourced as a new mom versus not resourced in terms of people. Mm-hmm. And they're both hard and they're both easy. Yes. So for with Jonah you know, I just followed his rhythms. If he wanted to be up for three hours in the night, I would take a three hour nap during the day, you know, and it was, it was fine. 
because there was no one else but he and I. We were our own little unit and we could follow whatever rhythm we really wanted, especially on leave. The hardest thing for me with Jonah was breastfeeding because my milk supply wasn't great initially and to pump and feed and be by yourself was just a lot. I, I basically lived on the couch for, for six weeks and I'm not somebody who sits still ever, but I lived on the couch for six weeks, basically like nursing him and pumping and nursing him and pumping. And, you know, in retrospect and in hindsight, I probably would have, have switched to formula sooner and taken that burden off of myself, but I had it in my head that I needed to, to breastfeed him. And I did, I was able to breastfeed him through a year, but I ended up supplementing with formula quite a bit. And I attribute that to not really knowing how to feed myself well and hydrate and take care of a baby and pump and walk two dogs, you know, like how to, how to do all of that on my own very well. Um, I have a plan for that. If, if, if somebody out there wants to do that, my secret is ask for the breast pump in the hospital room <laughs> and start pumping straight away. Uh, and that should help tremendously. But that was, that was one of the challenges. And the only other moment I remember, you know, you have a big hormone shift, probably about five or six days postpartum. And I just remember one of my dearest friends lived around the corner from me. And I remember her calling to check in on me. And I just burst into tears and I said, could you come over so I can take a shower? (laughs) (laughs) And she did. And I knew because I, I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know how to hold him or put him down and shower. I couldn't, I just, the hormones were, were flying and I just couldn't figure out how to do it. And all I wanted to do was take a shower because in the early days you're bleeding, you're, there's breast milk everywhere. You just feel gross and a shower is heaven. And so she did, she came over and she held him while I took a shower. She's like, go take a nap, go do this. And I was like, no, actually I'm fine. I really just needed the shower. And it was awesome. So those, those things, that moment about six days in, and then the whole figuring out the breastfeeding thing um, were my biggest challenges. A lot of women choose to have postpartum doulas Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of women will have family, they'll have friends stay with them. I, and I had those options if I wanted them. I just really enjoyed cocooning with him. I didn't feel like I wanted people around. I enjoyed, I had friends come over to go for walks. I had friends, I met friends for lunch to get me out and about. I had, the, I had the dogs that had to get out anyway. So, so that was, you know, a regular outing every day, you know, two walks a day, with two Huskies and a newborn, I was quite the sight. Um, but, you know, so that got me out the door and, and friends would come and visit and they would bring food and things, but mostly I just wanted to be with my baby. Mm-hmm. And this second time around with a partner and with a nanny in the house and with a five-year-old during a pandemic. <laughs> that sounds a lot harder. Just being me and my baby. <laughs> Everybody go away and just leave me with my baby. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny. I you know I don't know exactly what my preferences will be because I haven't gone through it. But I'm just kind of thinking like, I think I'm gonna like milk this pandemic thing. I don't want anyone coming over. <laughs> oh yeah, like and parents like parents in law included. Like I just 
I just, I don't, I don't see it. <laughs> yeah. That's been one really nice thing about, about the pandemic baby is really getting to cocoon and really having a, a legal reason to not allow people to come into that. It's kind of a sacred space to be, yeah. you know, whether it's you and your newborn or you and your partner and your newborn, it's really sacred space. And it's really, it really feels like an intrusion when people enter it. I mean, sometimes it's a nice distraction to mm-hmm. have people coming in, yeah. but really it's been really, our little bubble is very, very happy um, yeah. to not have all the outside stimulation. Yeah. I, I can see that. I can see that. Cause I can imagine, you know, some barriers for women who's like, I can't do this by myself. And it's like, maybe you can. <laughs> you can, you absolutely can. And you don't need a partner, but you might decide you have preferences to you know, be in your cocoon on your own more or to hire the help or ask for the help from friends or family, just depending on who's around, but it's, it's yeah, absolutely possible. Some, some of my single mom friends who are in the getting ready to, to give birth now realm, one of them has her mom and has chosen to actually live with her mom lives nearby. So has chosen to actually live and spend the first month or two at her mom's place. So they're going to be sheltering in place together. Another has hired like a night doula Mm -hmm. who will come in and she's committed to just being with her family for the next, I think four months. Um, And she's going to work five nights a week so that mom can sleep, get some sleep. Some people have, have my, uh, another friend hired housekeeper to come in and take care of the house so that she could just be with her baby for, for, and so that she didn't have to worry about the cleaning and, and things like that. So everybody has their needs and what they, and you can't possibly know them going in, yeah. but you can sort of plan for who you are as a person and what you, what you think you'll need. And then you can work from there. Totally. You know, I, I knew I'm an introvert. I love being alone. I knew that I wanted to be alone, but if you know that you are somebody who wants the help and, and, and wants people to be supporting you, just set it up and it's, yeah. it's doable. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So before I run out of time, um, can you talk a little bit about, I know you talked a little bit about your love life um, with Jonah, but specifically the partner that you're still with, cause I think that would be really inspiring for. Um, yeah. So total serendipitous, wonderful, crazy pants universe providing moment. I broke up with the gentleman that I had my, I called him my gentleman friend that I had been with in the spring. And a few months later, I had this very funny dream about, I grew up in New Jersey and I had a very funny dream where friends of mine from high school were taking me to see this man, Dan, who I went to school with. I went to Sunday school with in the dream. And I sent them, I sent Meredith and Lisa, my friends, a funny note on Facebook saying, I just had the most ridiculous Jersey dream about Dan Brogowski. And they were like, Oh, Dan Brogowski, he's perfect for you. <laughs> now I laugh at I, I I was about three or four weeks away from having my frozen embryo transfer with my daughter when they were saying, Oh, he's perfect for you. And he lived in the Hudson Valley in New York and I lived in the Bay Area in California. And I was like, Oh yeah, he's perfect for me. <laughs> Just perfect. <laughs> and they persisted and said, no, you need to reach out to him. You need to reach out to him and just tell him the dream because if nothing else, he'll think it's hilarious too. So after about three weeks of them hounding me, I did 
reach out and say, hey, you probably don't even remember me. I remember you as the little blonde kid with the bowl cut and the pointed collar shirt in Sunday school. <laughs> um, but I had this really funny dream. And he responded and said, that's hilarious. And then we just started chatting. And it turns out that our first date, he went to Johns Hopkins. So he met me in Baltimore the day of my frozen embryo transfer. So I had the frozen embryo transfer and then I had dinner with him that evening. And so our joke is that our first date, on our first date, I got pregnant with a black baby and we never had sex. <laughs> and it's a joke, but it's the truth. <laughs> right, and, right. You know, he was in a place in his life. I went to kindergarten. Like I, I didn't go to school, school with him. I just went to Sunday school with him through like fourth grade. Didn't remember him after that. And then I just had this random dream about him. And it turns out he was in a place in his life of transition and he, his son, he has an 18 year old son. He's divorced. He has an 18 year old son. His son had just gone off to college and he was not enjoying his job and decided to leave his job. And then he was like, well, why don't I come out and visit you for a little bit and we'll see what it's like. And he came out and visited for a few weeks. And then he went up to Portland to visit his brother and we decided that if we didn't like each other, when he went up to, to Portland to visit his brother, he would just go back to New York. Mm -hmm. But if we did like each other, he would come back down and spend a little more time. So we did like each other and he came back down and we just kind of realized that this is it. Like, this is what we're supposed to be doing. It's, mm -hmm. you know, there are many layers to it, but when you know in your gut yeah. that it's right, you just know. And so we've made the commitment right then and there, like, this is, this is what we're doing. We are combining families and, and he moved out here. He got out here the first week of December and he has been an amazing partner ever since. So he was with me for Nora's delivery. He, um, you know, was with me. He's with me. He's, That's he's amazing. with me. And, you know, if someone would have told me, a year ago that this is what my life would be like, I would have laughed at them. I would have been partner. What? No, I'm having a baby. I'm doing this thing. I'm working on this. I'm doing that. No, no, no. Yeah. You know, about think about partnership when Nora's, you know, five or six and I can start dating again, <laughs> but yeah. it's never been that yeah. even with Jonah, it wasn't that, you know, I, I, I said, Oh, I'll think about that when I think about it. And it came. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I love that you share this because I, you know, I know my audience well, I hear a lot of things and uh, there's a lot of single moms in this audience, in this audience, not always by choice, but there's still like this belief of like, that's, that's like a burden, you know, on their love life. And, and yeah, I mean, there's truth to that, right? It's not like all, you know, lies or limiting beliefs at the same time, there's plenty of people out there where it's not a problem. They'll make it right. Because you want to be together. When it's the right person, yeah. it's not at all an obstacle or a problem. And that's what I discovered. That's how I knew the person that I was with before Dan was not the right person because it was an obstacle. It was, you know, around every corner. It was, well, can't you just, mm -hmm. and the answer was no, my child comes first. But then I met somebody who completely and totally and utterly understood that my children come first and he's still here and he's, he comes first too. It all just, there's no first, second, third. It just is. We're, mm -hmm. we're together and we're doing this and, mm -hmm. and it's amazing. Did he know that you had just had an embryo transfer on your first date? 
He knew. Yeah. He, he, I mean, you know, we, we were, yeah, those are things that you cannot keep from somebody. I mean, I suppose you could, but I'm at a place like why bother? So yeah, he knew when we first started talking, you know, we had a few email or Facebook text exchanges and Facebook chat exchanges. And then once we started talking, I was like, okay, I know that you're in New York and I'm here and and this is all strange anyway. So I'm just going to put it out there that I'm about to get knocked up. (laughs) <laughs> and not with your baby. <laughs> and, you know, I think he wouldn't be human if it didn't give him pause, but we could let him speak for himself. But I think he would say that the our connection was easy enough and good enough that the pause that he had was brief or if not brief, it was like, okay, that's, that's just this thing. And I'll look at that later. Yeah. Yeah. And certainly his friends were like, what the hell are you doing? You just, you just got free from, you know, her, his son's 18. You just broke free and you're, you're getting ready to, to live your life. And, and for Dan, he was like, no, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is, this is my, my chance to, to get it right. It's beautiful. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Is there anything else that I didn't ask you that you think would be helpful for women listening who are maybe considering or haven't considered or like, oh, this could be an option. The only thing I can say is that anything and everything is possible. Mm -hmm. We get so stuck in the way we think things should happen or we've been taught things should happen or we've seen modeled, you know, but that's all just, it's kind of all bullshit, pardon Mm -hmm. my French, but it's, Anything is possible if you believe it's possible and where you put your energy is where it goes. Yeah. So if you really want motherhood, if, if that is what you want, put your energy there. Even if it's not direct, like I'm going to start looking at sperm donors and I'm going to go make these decisions, just maybe stop thinking about finding the partner and start thinking, start visualizing yourself as a mom. And see what that feels like. Try it on and, you know, stop thinking with your head about it and start thinking with your body and your heart and, and feeling there to feel if it's right. Because if it is, then the decisions become easy. The concrete step-by-step process becomes much easier. I love that. That's beautiful. I love that. So if my listeners want to reach out to you to ask questions or work with you. How can they find you? Please. Um, my website is my name. It's Dana Friedman, D-A-N-A-F-R-E-E-D-M-A-N.com. It's pretty easy. <laughs> I'll put that link in the, in the show notes. So um, anyone listening, you can just, I don't know, whatever app you're listening on, you just scroll up or do something. And we'll have the link there. Um, well, thank you so much for being so open and sharing the story. I mean, honestly, I could probably keep talking to you. I have like so many more questions, but um, <laughs> yeah, to honor our time. But just thank you so much. I, I so appreciate your time. And I know that this is going to inspire so many women listening. So I just so appreciative. Thank you. You are so very welcome. I've enjoyed every minute. Thanks for chatting. And and I hope I hope your listeners feel free to reach out to me anytime. I'm I'm happy to answer any questions. And you don't have to work with me to get questions answered too, just so they know that. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Love Life Connection podcast. 
You can find the show notes for this episode at veronicagrant.com forward slash podcast. And that's also the place you can sign up to be coached by me here on the show. And if you love this podcast, please leave a review over on Apple Podcasts. It helps more incredible women like you find this show and find real love. Until next time, remember, wherever you are is exactly where you need to be. You're not broken and you don't need to be fixed. Just because you've never had the relationship you want before doesn't mean you can't have it now. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.